what pregame ritual do you do or do you have anything to kind of make sure you're going to be the best coach you can be for the game? Ice coffee. You got to have caffeine. <laughs> the Radiants have this year's league MVP. That player is named? Lindsay Sue. Hello and welcome to the Raleigh Perlton Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Mead. And we're here to connect you with the players and personalities of North Carolina's semi-professional ultimate frisbee. Today, we're going to be talking to the head coach of the Raleigh Radiance and a whole bunch of other teams in the triangle, Mr. David Allison, or DA for short. DA, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. We've had a good week. Nice weather day. We've had in a workout, which is a rarity lately. So um, feeling feeling pretty good. You survived the monsoon this morning, I guess. That's that's probably good. Yeah, it was nice at about four o'clock. So I uh, got out there. Yeah, beautiful. You know, I almost have to apologize to you. We should have had you on this pod forever ago, and somehow we missed you in our first season. So as much as I want to dive into the stuff that's coming up, we've got to kind of get to know you a little first before we, we go in. So first off, ignoring all Frisbee, just who is David Allison? What do you do? Who's your family? How long have you been in the area? Uh, who is DA? Sure, yeah. So I went to NC State back in 1996, graduated in 2000. So that was sort of my first foray into the triangle. Then went away for some more school, spent some time in Atlanta, spent some time in Charlottesville, Virginia at UVA. While I was at UVA, I got a PhD in biochemistry. And so sort of knowing that I wanted to come back to North Carolina because it was a little closer to my folks. And because I liked the area as an undergrad, I found a postdoc at UNC and did some postdoctoral research there for a little bit and sort of got out of the academic side of research and into biotech. And so now I am the director of research and development at a small biotech startup called Triangle Biotechnology, where we do fun research trying to help push science forward. I'm married to Kristen Mazur, who I met in grad school at UVA, and we have a child that is 20 months old right now, a pandemic baby, if you will. So yeah, she is a math professor at Elon University, just got tenure. So that was a big moment for the family. She's really excited. And our daughter, AJ, is cruising right along. We're kind of a, doing the big happy family, no rest for the weary sort of thing. What a small world. So the reason I'm here is because my wife came and got a PhD at NC State in biomathematics. So oh, nice. small world, crazy. Yeah, we um, should introduce those two. <laughs> we, we can do that after this. That would be fantastic. Anything you do outside of Frisbee? How did you get into Frisbee after, after that? Oh, man. Yeah, good question. So outside of Frisbee, I try to spend as much time with my family as possible. As you sort of said, I wear a lot of different hats in the ultimate community and in the triangle. So what time I have available is spent hiking, with Kristen and with AJ now in tow uh, when we can. We try to do a little bit of traveling when we can, but mostly it's dedicated family time. No real uh, quirky hobbies beyond that, just because there's simply no time for it. Yeah. So that's the sort of rest schedule, if you will. So then obviously this is not exactly a mainstream sport. So you got to give us your origin story. How did you oh, yeah. this wacky sport? So when I was in summer camp in Western North Carolina, Camp Eagle's Nest, if anyone's been there, there is a ultimate Frisbee period that you could go and like learn how to play the sport. But prior to that, my brother had gone to this governor's school, and this is in the state of Georgia, it's called Governor's Honors Program. That was his first exposure to that and sort of told me like, you got to play the sport. It's really cool. Went to summer camp. Saw they had it, started playing it, thought it was really cool. Of course, at that point, we probably had like 35 kids on the field, just running up and down the field in like a giant blob, but still really loved it. And so I did that for a little while. That was sort of my baseline introduction. In high school, I would play with my friends some, like nobody really having any formal training, but just kind of going out there and getting at it. Went to NC State, 
And my freshman suite mate was a guy by the name of Mick Rebo, who is a very uh, sort of a local legend, ultimate player, played ring for many years after he graduated from state. But he sort of got me into the sort of college club sport at NC State and kind of went to some practices there for the fall of 1996 and then kind of dropped out. The commitment was pretty hard. Tried again in the fall of 1997, still wasn't going to take, unfortunately. They, they maybe won a national championship around that time. So I missed out on that window. But either way, I got like some formal coaching. Brian Dobbins was the coach at the time. There were a lot of really big names that were on that team. Kevin Cousy was on that team. Chris Hinkle, a lot of old heads in the North Carolina Ultimate community. So I got a pretty good education into how they approached Ultimate. And then really didn't stick with me until I moved to Atlanta for a few years and just joined like the rec leagues down there and like really got into it. Tried to get better and understand like how to play. Came up to Charlottesville, Virginia and played with UVA's college club team at the time because I had not actually played college. And so in my one season with them that I had, the one season of eligibility, we didn't even make regionals, which was very sad. <laughs> um, but uh, still met a bunch of really great guys there too. UVA at the time was sort of building uh, and had a, a run at nationals a couple of years there. So again, just like learning more, playing a little bit of mixed club there as well. Ended up playing for Axis of Seaville in the first year that they made club nationals. We maybe won a game. And a couple of years later, I think they won the whole thing when they, they got some ringers. Yeah, but you went so, from you went from not making regionals in college to making nationals. So, I mean, <laughs> that's a step Yeah, up. no, no, big deal. I was really excited to be a part of, uh, it, you know, club nationals. But it was a great team. I learned so much from all the people that were up there. And it was my real first look at kind of how Elite Ultimate worked. Sort of after that, I started to think about coaching. I spent like a season sort of informally coaching Night Train's B team, which was fine, but like not really knowing what I was doing. <laughs> and then a year or two later, volunteered to introduce a zone defense to UVA's women's team. It was just a 1-3-3. I think maybe they still run it. Um, Maybe they don't. I don't know. Uh, they ran it for many, many, many years, though. And that was a lot of fun, just kind of introducing that. And they asked me to stick around. And uh, the coach that they had uh, before um, had to take a step back due to family obligations, and that sort of moved me up and uh, uh, into a a more head coach position, I suppose. At the same time, uh, Manu or sorry, Manu Argili, um moved to Charlottesville because her husband uh, was in school at UVA, and she played for uh, a long time on uh, Fury, San Francisco Fury. And so we worked together to sort of introduce, you know, we, I guess like we mind melded our concepts, uh, brought in a lot of theory concepts, uh, and then added in some of the, the East Coast, Virginia, North Carolina concepts and kind of made an offense and made a defense. Um, and UVA sort of took off. I mean, that team made seven nationals in a row. They made quarterfinals for five or six years in a row, made semifinals once. So uh, that was sort of uh, maybe the the main rise in my uh, my uh, coaching arc. Uh, and then obviously things come to an end. I have to leave Charlottesville, come down here, and um, you know pick up with Phoenix for a season. Um, that didn't work out. Um, but then joined on with Mike Donardis uh, with Ring of Fire and with um, Raleigh Flyers now Carolina Flyers. Um, and that was just such a great experience. I think we, we both became better coaches working together. I have, uh, I'm so thankful that, that we get to spend that time together. Um, 
and sort of, you know, at the tail end of my time coaching ring and coaching, uh, coaching flyers, uh, I was realizing that, that it, it was sort of like the rich getting richer because Mike and I were both sort of putting all of our resources into these two teams. And there were, you know, some other teams that, that, you know, could maybe use, uh, you know, extra help with strategy and extra help with coaching. Um, and, uh, so, uh, I sort of asked whether or not Phoenix was looking for a coach because Eddie was going to step down. Um, and they were, um, they were interested, interviewed with them and sort of did the same thing with, uh, Raleigh Radiance and sort of went from the ring flyers, uh, conglomerate over to, uh, to Radiance and Phoenix. And, uh, that's where I've waited for the past couple of years. And on top of that, you've also been coaching at UNC as well. That's true. So you should probably mention that a little bit. Can you talk about how you got into that? That's true. Obviously, you know, when you enter into sort of the world of Mike Denardis, at the time, Mike Denardis was coaching three teams and he's trying to sort of share the load as much as possible. I had coached UVA Hydro remotely for two seasons. And I knew that that was going to end because it's just really hard not being there at any practices, essentially, and just meeting the team at tournaments. And so I knew that was coming to an end. And Mike obviously invited me onto that dark side program as well and rode the coattails of some really, really talented players at UNC to a couple of national championships. Those gentlemen are just really fun and they're really special. It's a really unique group. Yeah. So on that note, congratulations. You just won a championship with UNC men's. And then also last year, finishing third for club nationals with Raleigh Phoenix. So, you know, we're, we have a lot of time and a lot of things to talk about with no experience. So I want to get to that. Yeah. But before we dive into that, obviously, again, an incredible 2021 for Carolina yeah. Ultimate in general, but also for you personally. So can you talk a little bit just about both your men's championship that you just won, but then also the, the club season with Phoenix? Yeah, yeah. So we can sort of go in, in uh, along the timeline of 2021 for my coaching. That'll dab into the pro really quick and we can circle back to that at the end. But obviously Raleigh Radiance had a regional championship where we played New York Gridlock and DC Shadow. And we were able to sort of make the right adjustments. We lost to DC Shadow in the first game that we played, uh, beat Gridlock and that qualified us for the final. We made some great adjustments, came out prepared on day two and took the championship there. So I personally think that that was the hardest regional in the PUL that season. And so I'm actually quite proud of the achievement. That team was just getting into learning the strategies and things that I was installing. And so for them to come together that quickly, I think just shows the potential and the professionalism of that team. Yeah. And and we're going to dive all into that for sure. I mean, I've heard players' perspectives and they've even talked about things you talked about, but I cannot wait to like just dig a little more to that. So we'll get there in a second, but Yeah. Yeah. And so then, um, you know, straight from PUL into club where I was coaching Phoenix and that was taking a a lot of that same core from Radiance plus some ads and sort of the same thing. I mean, we're all learning together. We're getting to know each other. I hadn't been involved in women's ultimate for a number of years. And so just trying to learn the talented players that exist here, but also learning sort of where, you know, how the talent exists outside of North Carolina so that we can sort of best prepare to challenge them. I think we did an awesome job. We had a real nip and tuck game against traffic to win the pool. But I think that was like a a real moment where the team started to believe where their heights were. And then I, you know, probably played in the best game of club championships that year when we played Fury in the semifinal. Such a fun game. Both teams brought it. You know, I think the number of turnovers in the second half were a handful. 
uh, until like the very, very end. We had sort of a marathon point, <laughs> but just really good, high quality, clean ultimate. It gave us all an understanding and sense of knowing we belong and knowing that we're creeping towards that mountaintop. So hopefully we can ride that momentum into the next club season. And then Darkside, Darkside's unique. They worked together all summer. And I was not really able to be involved in that just because of my commitments with the PUL and with Phoenix. But then coming on board in, in the fall after the club season ended and just seeing all those guys again, you know, it had been a while since I'd seen them. They are a very player run organization. So they were organized and we knew exactly what we needed to do as a coaching staff to kind of uh, get them together and prepare them to win club championship. And I know Pleiades just completely dominated on the women's side, but holy cow, Darkside also was a dominant champion in that season. And man, it's really, it feels really good when you leave no doubt who the best team is at a tournament. Yeah. And there was no doubt. I mean, what was the closest score for dark side was what? 15, 12, I think 15, 12. I think that's right. Yeah. And just like everyone was talking about this hype for Colorado, crushed them in quarterfinals, talking about the hype for Brown, beat them pretty soundly and comfortable. I mean, ugh. I mean, we should, we could go on about the LSB Searles <laughs> bows. Like I got, I've never like watched a play live and like gotten off my feet like that before. I mean, like yeah. watching it just like, ugh, insane. yeah, that Callahan was insane. <laughs> insane so. all right this is the raleigh pro ultimate podcast though so we should definitely get into the pro experience so yeah let's do uh, it. going back to the east championship run a little bit as you said that first game was uh pretty sound we got our we got our butts kicked like let's just be straight yeah, right we and, sure did you know talking to all the players at no point has anyone said like oh the systems failed oh we had a strategic it was always just like yeah it was just catches and throws that was that was it i mean was that how it felt at the time for you watching on the side, was there any sort of adjustments you made? Like, I mean, what is their first game playing coming out of pandemic? It's the first real meaningful ultimate and over, I mean, for them, like a year and a half. So, I mean, what, what were the kinds of things you were saying to try and keep them kind of in it? Yeah. I mean, I think when, when you're losing like that and it's sort of the first competitive experience you've had in a while, just making sure that you're focused on the process, right. Focused on the next point at all moments one of our co-coaches, Alan Laviolette, was not able to make it, but Beth Gifford was there and she was sort of helping the offense and I was working with the defense primarily. And so I think we were just trying to keep people calm and confident and bought in as much as possible, understanding that this is just the first step. And while I cared to win that championship, I cared more to just compete against two really good teams and hopefully earn an opportunity to play that championship game the next day. But just being able to get those reps in a brief moment before going into an offseason and getting back out there for 2022, I just can't imagine. It must feel really strange for some of these teams that took 2021 off and are having to come back in because it's been even longer for those teams to have played together. But yeah, just reminding people to stay calm, stay focused on the task at hand. And I think we did that. I think the biggest struggle, people say catches and throws. And I think it's just trying to understand what your role is in that moment. Because no matter how much you practice that, right, and communicate that before a game, you actually have to kind of get out there against real competition before you understand. So we did do some personnel adjustments in terms of who we were putting where, what roles we wanted them to be in. And I think that made a difference between the first game and the second game. We found a really effective jump defense. And I think that that also helped us in the second game. So yeah, I mean, I think like... The team, the team just wanted to play together. So it's not actually all that hard for a coach when that's happening. 
Dean, you already alluded to my next question, which is the, so what adjustments did you make? So you switched a little junkier. Were there any other like adjustments or things that you did going into the gridlock game? That's again, you go from, you got waxed in the first game, but then the second game is another really tight game against a yeah. really talented team who was yeah. also the home team yeah. you know, in their debut. So are there any other adjustments you made, especially down the stretch and as you got into overtime? No, I think it was just leaning into the junk set that we had. Traditionally, what I've been told, Radiance has not been a very good zone defense team or junk defense team. And so I think the players were a little surprised at how effective it was, especially given the quality of the handlers that Gridlock was having. But again, I mean, they're very talented players, but no one has played ultimate since 2019. So I think asking a team to make the right decision over and over and over again and finding ways to pressure them when they get into bad spots is sort of what that junk defense is asking. It's not very aggressive. It's just asking mostly for patience with some soft pressure sort of on the sidelines. But yeah, I think that once the team saw that it was working, then there was like complete buy-in. And I was able to use that to sort of manage the clock and manage uh, the the load. We had two full D lines that were both able to run that junk. And so everybody was able to stay fresh and we were able to punch in some scores when it mattered. All right. So you come out with the overtime victory, you know, you get to play on Sunday, huge relief. As a teacher, I definitely find myself, there's times where I need to have a big conversation with the whole group. And then there's other times where I need to go talk to one individual. And sometimes it's a leader in the group. Sometimes it's like the freshman who doesn't know what's going on. I'm just curious, were there any like smaller personal conversations you had going into the Sunday's game that you feel like made a difference? Or was it just getting the group itself to buy in and like have life again? We pulled the O-line in, Beth and I did, as soon as we got to the fields, just to talk a little bit more about how we want to play together, how we want to space. We introduced a brand new pull play and just kind of walked through it on the sideline a couple of times. and. I think we ran that pool play the entire game and like it got us into our offense immediately after one throw almost every time it was, I mean, it was so great. The team, I think really loved it. And we took that into the club season and it certainly will be resident in this season again. Um, hopefully we can have some other pool plays because that one's probably well scouted, but it works in that moment. So yeah, that I think really helped the offense. And then defensively, the experience from the first game, I think helped them understand how shadow was going to attack. We ran a lot of force middle in that first game. And even in their warmups, I noticed Shadow was working on things that they wanted to do to try to beat the force middle. And it was exactly what we would want them to do. And I just made sure the defense knew that when we do go matchup D, then these are the spaces that they're looking to attack and make sure that we have more than one body there to get a block. And we also ran less force middle, ran more junk, ran more backhand. Ginny Faye's forehand is lethal. So we just wanted to try to limit her forehand as much as possible. So all of those things, I think Shadow played a little worse for whatever that's worth. And we used that junk that we developed in the gridlock game. And it was also effective in that Shadow game. So I think between the O-line, just getting a little bit more direction to start the game. And then the D-line learning from the first game was really what was able to turn the tide between the two results. What a fall 2021 thing to like, oh yeah, we, we figured out our opening play on Sunday at the tournament. <laughs> and we, we do need to call out deep look right now because both Charlie Eisenhood and Keith Rayner had us third at that tournament. And uh, yeah, you can eat your words. So 
Yeah. Well, Keith had said something like, I'm used to seeing you with like seven or eight assistant coaches. So, you know, maybe he was undervaluing what I brought individually and undervaluing the presence of Beth Gifford. So, so yeah, we can do it without six coaches. We can do it with one or two. I've coached a lot of teams with being just the only coach on the field. So that said, I mean, like obviously Gridlock and Shadow had a lot of really big names and they are both really talented teams. And we were sort of the spry up and comers, you know, having made the championship weekend and I guess 2019 and then Phoenix having some success making quarterfinals, 2019 club nationals, but had not quite punched through. And I think 2021 was like the punch through moment. And it'll be interesting to see how much we're going to be sort of getting everyone's best shot now, you know, we're not going to sneak up on anybody, on anybody. And honestly, I love it. Like I want every single team to come and give us their best shot and challenge us as much as possible. And we're going to challenge them as much as possible. And let's see who comes out on top because that's why we do this. So I'm looking forward to that in a more regular format with a regular PUL season coming up. Oh, which is a perfect segue into our season this year, which is by far, uh, yeah, we get six games total, which is By far the biggest season yet. And I think they're just going to continue to build for the Premier Ultimate League. For those who are newer to the Premier Ultimate League, they were first started in 2019 and had a full season. Each team back then, there were eight teams originally that all played four games. And then they used kind of an algorithm to calculate who the final four teams would be. Well, final three teams. And they gave Atlanta a buy-in because they were hosting. However you want to discuss that, that's fine. That was also the year that the Radiance made championship weekend and won their semifinal and advanced into the final. And then unfortunately lost a fairly tight game uh, to the champions, obviously in Medellin revolution who are now called Revo pro. So then 2020 obviously killed their season that year. And then last year we were only able to do our championship run. So this is really only the PUL's second full season. So there's lots of new excitement, but then there's been different developments. It's going to be really cool uh, to dive in. So uh, for the Radiant season, though, real quick, I'm going to run through the schedule. We have six games again, three away games and three home games. Our season opener is going to be on Saturday, April 2nd at Atlanta uh, against the Atlanta Soul. And then the next weekend, our home opener, which everyone needs to show up to. It's going to be amazing. Saturday, April 9th against the DC Shadow, the team that we had just beaten to win the East Championship. They're going to come in hungry. And then we get most of the rest of the month of April off, quote unquote. And then on Saturday, April 30th, we'll have another home game against the Nashville Nightshade, the team we have the most history with. who We also did kind of a special premiere season in 2018 before the PUL started. So lots of history there, lots of kind of cool ties. And then a really interesting midweek, I think they're calling it week 6.5 or whatever it is, uh, on a Tuesday night on May 17th against Revo Pro. Again, arguably one of the best teams in the league. So that game is going to be absolutely electric on a weekday night. So we're excited to fill the stands for that. And then, of course, our last two games are our away games on Saturday, May 21st against the Columbus Pride and then ending the season at Minnesota on June 4th. So you know, I don't know how much role you have in building the schedule or what you say, but um, can you give us a little bit of thoughts on if you did have any ways that you helped build the schedule? Can you talk about that? And then also, like, are you happy with it? There's no back to backs. Like, obviously, there's a pretty good slate of teams. So like, what are your general thoughts on the schedule? Yeah, in terms of schedule building, I think the PUL did a, a really nice job trying to get a lot of overlap between the divisions that they formed. And so I think we play only two teams in the division that we're assigned to. And that's a little unfortunate. Austin Borch is the other team that is in our division. But if you told me that we could play Revolution versus flying to Austin and playing Torch, I would much rather play Revolution because it's just like such an awesome game. Yeah, really pleased with the schedule. All three of our home games are basically must-see TV. You just mentioned DC Shadow. They're certainly going to try to get some get back. You know, they're going to they're going to be circling that game. 
something on their calendar, I'm sure. And they've only gotten more talented. They've sort of absorbed a number of players from gridlock. So that team certainly has gotten better on paper. So looking forward to that as the home opener. And then Nightshade, like that's like our original rival, the team that we have the most history with. And Jesse Schaffner is a part of that team who is just an absolute talent. And that team, I think, has, has grown a lot. So I am preparing for their best shot. And I think it's going to be a great game there. And then obviously, like Revolution, we've played them twice so far. They sort of set the standard for the league back in 2019. And a lot of those same pieces are there. And I think the thing that excites me the most about that is that the players that were playing in that game in 2019 for us are were very young. And now they're a couple of years older. A couple of them have won some college championships. A bunch of them have made club semifinals. So the the level of experience of our roster now is extensive. And I think they're not going to be blown away by the name on the jersey as much. And I think they're going to be looking forward to playing that game as well. So that Tuesday night game, boy, you know, you got to get out to that Tuesday night game. It's going to be spectacular. Yeah. Any thoughts on our away games? Obviously season opener against Atlanta again, kind of, we haven't played them a bunch, but I know on the AUDL side, we've played Atlanta a lot. I think there's a general rivalry between our two cities, just from a Frisbee standpoint, even in the club scene and then kind of some newer looks. I mean, Columbus, I guess not a new team. I guess they were around in 2019, but a team, I think we have some players too, with ties too. And then Minnesota is brand new. So we can talk a little bit about the away games too. Yeah, absolutely. So Atlanta, that first road game is another rivalry. Atlanta and the Triangle have been battling uh, against each other in every single division possible for God knows how long. So I think it's going to be sort of right into it with that team. They've got some really great talent as well. And like you said, we haven't played them that much. So it'll be sort of an interesting experience. Their head coach, Martin Aguilera, and I chatted a little bit, and I think we're both looking forward to that matchup. And then, yeah, two teams that we haven't ever played, right? I watched a little bit of the regional championships that Columbus played in last year. And I think it's cool to see how different styles and how other teams play. And when you don't get a chance to play a team that often, there's a lot of sort of problem solving and puzzle solving that goes on during the game, trying to figure out how to bend your style to the game that's on the field and attack their weaknesses and try to limit their strengths. And so I think games like that and the games like the Minnesota game are going to be maybe a little bit more feel out early on while we try to see how these styles work together, but very excited to do that. It's always fun from a coaching standpoint to get into those games where you're not quite as familiar with the opponent. Yeah. I think too, what's cool is that's, that's pretty in direct contrast to the AUDL right now where like they're going back to playing kind of the South division. And while I think a lot of these teams are going to have a bunch of new faces and be some really different matchups, the jerseys are still going to be the same. We know the general kind of play styles, Versus with the PUL, this is your one chance, whether you're watching a live stream or you're coming out to these home games, your one chance to see some of these matchups like for the first time ever. So yeah, I think that live problem solving and again, just seeing like players that we've never seen match up before is just going to be beyond. I mean, I, like, I love the way you were that. Absolutely must watch TV. Absolutely must watch. So taking a step back from the schedule a little bit, do you have anything in particular that you're most looking forward to for the season? I know just getting a full season is one thing, but any like particular stuff? I think just getting the second season in, there was so much sort of foundational install that went on last season. And now with the team having so much more familiarity, I'm like really looking forward to playing with the nuances that exist within the strategies. And the great thing is is like, these are, you know, extremely intelligent athletes and I'm looking forward to learning from them sort of their take on the nuances as well. So 
I think, you know, every good coach can learn from their players. And now that I've sort of put in this base, letting them take that and grow it into their own thing is going to really push us into the levels that we want to be in and and sort of uh, aspiring for the goals that we're trying to reach. So on that note, speaking of players, do you have any players that you want to kind of shout out ahead of the season? Obviously our roster's dropped. We're going to talk about a couple of particular names in a second, but is there anyone that you've already been seeing kind of putting in the work or in general that, that people need to know this person's name, whether it's a general fan or other PUL fans or other uh, PUL teams trying to scout us, like who's, who's been doing the work for us? So I'll first toss in an old name, but a new name, which is Ginny Way. Ginny Way is back with us after recovering from an Achilles injury. And she's just such a scary player. I'm like so glad she's back. I'm so glad she's on our side. She's so talented, so athletic, and her enthusiasm is through the roof. So definitely she got a lot of attention, I think, in 2019 and has maybe fallen off the radar a little bit because of the injury and not playing as much club. But she's back and as good as ever. And then, you know, we have a new transplant from Atlanta, Claire Brigadier Curtis. So she's arrived and comes with, I think, a lot of potential. And I'm excited to see kind of where she finishes the season up. I think she's having to learn a lot right now, but you can see the potential in her game. And I think by season's end, everybody's going to know who she is when she's on the field. So is Claire still in college or she's graduated? Where do you expect to see her on the field? So she is done with college. I think she moved to the Triangle from Atlanta. I don't know the reason for the move. We've only had a couple of practices and not a lot of social interaction uh, going on. Most Mostly just trying to figure out where to go when on the field, <laughs> at least for now. So where do I expect her? She's a, a big cutter. So you're going to see her in the downfield space, has a good array of throwing skill. And so I think she can both score goals and throw goals. And whenever you have players that are a threat sort of in both aspects of the game, it makes it harder to figure out how to defend them. And, you know, on defense, he's a big cutter defender. So we'll see it there at some point, maybe in game one, we'll have to see. Yeah. And I think I've talked to players and other people about this, and it's definitely the Radiance and the Phoenix in general, like the women's scene here has been super duper skilled pretty darn athletic and not very big. So anytime I hear, oh, a big cutter, probably a good thing, especially on our D lines, because we know other teams are going to show up with some, some size at times. No, we got bigger. Obviously Sue is back with us, Lindsay Sue, but Jayway coming back, Sarah Mextroth coming in from Minnesota and Claire. um, Like we, we definitely have brought in uh, some extra size this season. So on that note, how did we get Sarah Mextroth? I mean, for those who don't know, that is a name in the women's community and someone normally who plays mixed. She's from originally the Minnesota area. Maybe you don't know because you haven't done a bunch of social interaction, but there has to be like, how does Sarah Mextroth on this team? That was not something anyone was expecting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so Sarah played DC Shadow last season at the regional championship. She's often been tied with Erica Bacon, a very talented uh, handler. But why did she come here? So there's probably a lot of reasons. So what I will say is that she can work remotely and that her partner plays Boneyard, which is for those that don't know, it's the master's club team that exists in the area. And uh, they're a very talented team that competes for championships year in, year out. So yeah, her partner plays Boneyard. And I think once the school year ends, I think he's, he's in academia somewhere. Once the, the, the semester ends, they're both just planning on coming down and spending the summer in North Carolina so he can be you know playing with Boneyard. Now with that, she had not necessarily committed to playing with us. She had just reached out and, and said, hey, you know, I'm going to be in the area. You know, obviously 
I'm thinking about playing Shadow again, but I would be interested potentially in playing with y'all as well. And so we sort of had some all hands on deck sort of meetings as an organization and made sure that we could do what we could to make Radiance her choice. And fortunately, we were able to pull that off. So she originally said she was going to play for the Shadow and we won her over. Oh, I, I wouldn't say she was originally, I don't know that she had decided. She was considering both. Obviously, the fact that Shadow was the team she played for the previous season and the fact that Erica Bacon was playing with them again is obviously a huge pull for them. And I don't think it was, I think it was close is what I was saying and or is what I would say. But fortunately, we were able to steal her away. Fantastic. Some other general questions getting away from the ratings for a second. Is there a PUL team that you're most excited to see? Maybe it's a new team. Maybe it's an old team. Who are you outside of the ratings most excited to watch play and watch their film? Yeah, good question. So I've never really formally coached against Revolution and they have, you know, sort of such a unique style and they have so much talent. I think I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do. And they have like a grueling road trip and there's, I think maybe 18 of them on the roster. So I'm excited to just to see them out there competing. And I think they play us, Shadow, and Gridlock, right? So traditionally, the top programs that have been part of the PUL. So from a coaching standpoint, I'm excited to coach against them. And then just from an entertainment standpoint, like they're going to have to run a huge road game gauntlet. And I think it's going to make for some entertaining games. There's a new PUL franchise in the block. You get to pick where it goes. Where would you put a PUL franchise? Um, Gosh. It's got to be pretty close between Boston and can we get Denver on board? Is that too far away? I guess if we can get Revo Pro on board, then we can get Denver. Those are two pretty big hotbeds. I'm not really considering the West Coast because of the semi-professional Western Ultimate League that's going on. So we'll leave the WUL. We're not going to poach any teams from over there for now. So just brand new semi-pro cities. I think Boston has a rich history of Ultimate, obviously. And Denver is also an extraordinarily talented group there. Yeah, that would be a great. So many players commuting to play in semi-pro teams from the Boston area. And so being able yeah. to have like a home yeah. base would be oh, incredible. You didn't actually go into this earlier. And I, I really want to just ask real quick, you've coached a ton of different pieces of the Frisbee community from college men's and obviously elite men's, um, both from the pro side and the club side. And then now on the women's side, a bunch, both at the elite level and then doing some college too. So for you just jumping all the different divisions, I'm sure good Frisbee is good Frisbee. Good fundamentals is good fundamentals. But are there adjustments that you make between all those different divisions, both from an age standpoint and from, you know, the other parts of it? So in terms of like the foundations that we lay, not at all. The structure I think works at the college level and at the club level and semi-pro level, regardless of gender or gender matching. So not anything there. I think everything else is just how you use that structure in the moment. The AUDL is played on a bigger field and there's more space, which sort of changes some of the things that the flyers do. In general, there are a lot more folks willing to take kill shots in the AUDL and club men's. So I think there's a lot more of a sense of like protecting the house in those divisions. But we cut deep, we throw deep, we defend deep just the same way. Certainly when Jenny Faye was out there and we were playing Shadow last year, we were definitely concerned about her just ending points in one throw. So I think stylistically, I like coaching the women's game a lot more because they play more about space. 
And I think that's really fun. I think it's a more entertaining brand of Ultimate to watch as a result. Men's, there's definitely a little bit more ISO ball that goes on. And so maybe you get some more highlight plays out of that. But with all of that said, I'll just circle back around and say, we're not changing anything crazily. It's really just up to the team to bend that structure to the strengths that they have built in and within them. Yeah, no, that's cool. I love the tactician minds working like, no, but I mean, but this is like, that, that's cool. Highlights and, but like, but that's <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. Kind of tied to that. I love leavening with this question with a lot of people. What is the worst game you've ever coached in and how you want to take worst is up to you, but what is the worst game you've ever coached? The worst game I ever coached in, I was coaching UVA Hydra and we were preparing for quarterfinals against UBC. University of British Columbia. This was Alika Johnston's Callahan year. So that must have been 2015 because that was the same year John Nethercutt won the Callahan and Darkside won their first championship. So in that game, essentially a third of the team got food poisoning the night before, <laughs> including some very important starters, one of which had to go to the hospital, didn't even make it to the field. But you know, good. You got to say of- where they ate. Where did they eat? What kind of food? Uh, they, they think it was a custard place in Milwaukee. That was the ground zero of this event. But we had won the pool. We were in really great shape to take on our quarterfinal matchup. And you wake up and the first thing you hear in the morning is that Rebecca Meeker has gone to the hospital for food poisoning. And all of these other people have been either up helping try to take care of her or suffering from food poisoning itself. We had players going to the bathroom in the middle of the game because they were so sick. And so big fan of like trying to control the control and look at everything as an opportunity. But, and I think we gave it our best shot. We started the game like actually pretty well, but we faded pretty badly. And it wasn't that we lost. It was just like looking at the faces of the players and and, like knowing that this was such a great opportunity and they had worked so hard for this moment and to have that be so sort of poorly affected by something like food poisoning. So if you lose to a team because they're better than you and they kick your butt, then that's fine. You lose to a team because... You've got 10 different external things going on. It it just hurts. So I would put that right up there with the worst experiences I've had as a coach. I appreciate too that it wasn't weather related. Almost everyone answers this was just like, yep, there was one day and we were playing in five feet of snow and it was cold and miserable and terrible. Or it was a monsoon and we were literally swimming for our cuts. And I appreciate too that that's not, it's not just a weather one. So yeah. All right. We're going to move to our second to last section. This is our give and go section. So I'm going to try and rip through some questions that you can give some quicker answers to a head note. Your players are terrible at doing these quickly. So maybe you'll be better at this, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. All right. You ready for some give and go DA? Yeah, let's go. All right. First question for you as a coach watching on the sideline, do you get more excited seeing one of your players get a bidding under D to get the turn on a big point or the huge sky upwind for the score? It's got to be getting the block on the under, 100%. Your definition of a great teammate? Someone who lifts up the team. Scuba or Hammer? Scuba. I have a cat named Scuba. That's awesome. What is your favorite fan reaction at a game, which we're going to have lots of because everybody listening is going to go to these awesome home games? I like it when we're playing away games and the other team starts cheering that we suck. (laughs) 2021 College Nationals. The whole stadium chanting dark side sucks over and over and over again. I love it. It's so fun to be the bad guy. So 
I think being in those away games are fun because you're just kind of like a group and you're in there together in, in enemy territory and just dealing with the outside fan experience and like learning how to embrace that is super fun. Flick or backhand? Backhand. Who inspires you? Wow. How is that a give and go question? <laughs> it's got to be my dad. Hamburger, hot dog, or tacos? Tacos. The Radiants have this year's league MVP. That player is named? Lindsay Sue. What is your favorite offense to run? Motion. What is your favorite defense to run? A matchup junk hybrid. Oh, that's so tactical. All right. <laughs> the most satisfying win you've ever had with an ultimate is? The most satisfying win in ultimate? The most satisfying win. I think I know what your loss would be. So I'm asking for the win. <laughs> um, wow. There's so many of those that I'm going to stumble on this one. So beating traffic, 2021 full play. Wow. With Raleigh Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. The best post-game slash post-tournament meal is? Beer. All right. You're dropping ultimate completely out of your life, which suddenly opens up a lot of time for you. What do you spend your time doing? Carpentry. Have you built anything before? Yeah, sure. What is the um, largest thing you've built? Yeah. I've refinished some side tables that we had gotten from grandparents. I've built some like cages to cover our elevated beds so that the squirrels and rabbits wouldn't get into them. So that's like sort of a simple build, but I always have designs on just going full bore into it and like making some built-ins in some room or something like that. But obviously I have not dropped ultimate yet. So, and we hope you don't for a while. All right. Last couple, what pregame ritual do you do? Or do you have anything to kind of make sure you're going to be the best coach you can be for the game? Ice coffee. You got to have caffeine. <laughs> Do we have a good iced coffee sponsor for our season yet? Do we need to work on that? Yeah, we should definitely work on that. There's a, let's see, we should get on the horn with like Cup of Joe. There's a Cup of Joe in Hillsboro, which is my hometown. So let's see if we can get them on board. That would be sweet. Okay. So we'll tag Cup of Joe and we drop this pod. And then we're also working on a hot dog stand for Don Colton. Okay. Perfect. All right. Last one. You're going to hear every time we do a Radiance podcast this season, I'm going to be comparing you with someone. For at least the first couple right now, I'm comparing you to Charlie Eisenhood. So my question to you, DA, who can throw farther, you or Charlie Eisenhood? This is a great question because we're actually going to find this out at College Nationals. There's some discussion on the Ultra World Discord. And I don't remember where this, this might have started from your podcast. I don't remember, but um, either go, way, baby. either way, I think we're going to both get to throw backhands. We're going to force Charlie to not use a disc golf disc and we're going to see what happens. But you have still have to answer the question. So we'll find out. Oh, I can throw it farther than I can, I can throw an ultra star farther than Charlie can. Suck it, Charlie. All right. <laughs> Last spot. I always want to make sure you guys have a chance to shout out someone, whether it's in the Frisbee community or outside. So DA, who's your shout out on the Raleigh Proltzman pod for season two? Yeah, that has to be my wife, Kristen. There's no way that I could coach one team that I coach. And she is so patient and loving and accepting of this being my passion and basically allowing me to do it year round through the semi-pro, the club and the college seasons. And basically I'm not getting to be on this podcast or experience these things without her support. So it has to be Kristen Mazur. And I'll say, I normally don't do shout out, but I will also shout out my wife because I feel the exact same way. And my day job is very, very busy. And for her to be patient enough to allow me to do this as well is what kind of keeps me whole and happy. And so I, yep, I totally understand exactly how I feel right now. Cause we would, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Thanks again, DA, for coming on the pod. We are so excited to see the Radiance premiere in Atlanta on April 2nd. And even more importantly, at our home opener on Saturday, April 9th. 
Uh, any socials or other ads you need to throw out before we go? Just make sure you're following Raleigh Radiance on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. There'll be a lot of content coming out that should be pretty entertaining and help promote us. Make sure you make that DC shadow game. We want to make sure that we have a, a good rowdy crowd there that night. So maybe repeat that date one more time and let's uh, let's call it a wrap. April 9th, Saturday. We're looking forward to seeing you guys. So, all right, DA, you've been more than generous with your time. Have a great one. Looking forward to yep. seeing you soon. Yep, take care.